Welcome back into the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. It is our day two NFL draft recap. I'm Chris Burke, joined by Dame Brugler, and we've got Kent Garrison producing things behind the scenes. Uh, so rounds two and three, pretty interesting. I, I continue to love the uh, at-home format. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Roger Goodell's uh, increasing shift from commissioner at the start of the night to uh, he was like one step from swirling randy and introducing us to a classic movie at the end of the night um <laughs> we had uh some really interesting stuff happen and we'll get into that here momentarily just want to first check in on dame brugler and make sure he's still functioning over there <laughs> after the last couple of nights yeah hanging in there and i think you make a good point are they gonna have a problem next year when they you know hopefully uh you know because we won't be worried about social distancing but we go back to the old way we used to do things with the nfl draft because yeah i agree this has been uh, a really refreshing way to uh put this whole thing together and i think it's worked well yeah i mean i I assume they'll go back to the usual format they've already announced you know the next three draft cities and i think you know hopefully like you said we can have those big gather gatherings again because the it was really cool when they moved it around like nashville Mm -hmm. just showed up and that was incredible for that whole week so i I don't think they want to lose that but i hope they keep some of these elements uh some of these more personal elements that have uh worked so well just you know the, the the glimpses into the home life of some of these coaches and everything like you were talking about yesterday's show you know seeing the players just with their moms and dads immediate families instead of in the green room like some of this stuff has been really uh fun to watch so yeah i I hope they sort of can find a way to merge it all together but um yeah again and as we said yesterday kudos to everyone who's pulled it off because it's been uh i mean if if you didn't know this was so unprecedented and the first time that they were ever trying this i'm not sure you'd have any idea right right yeah no i agree and you know we talked about uh yesterday how some surprise names in the first round that pushed some really good players to the second round and i think a lot of these teams in the second round did did a great job with uh who who they went after um uh, i don't know just a few highlights for me on day on round two uh, I thought the Colts with Michael Pittman, that was a connection that I think I made in like almost all of my mock drafts when I did a second rounder. I just, I love that fit. And uh, obviously Chris Ballard did too. Um, Detroit, uh, this is, you know, I, I always did Jonathan Taylor because I thought maybe it fit their, uh, you know, what they wanted to do a little bit better, but we had a feeling they would go running back uh, here with this pick. what do you think about DeAndre Swift at 35? Yeah, I was with you. You said Taylor. I thought they might go Dobbins, and so I guess we were both wrong, but we had the position. Um, and yeah, I think that was uh, certainly smart. They needed another guy there. I don't know that they could trust Carrion Johnson to be their you know, alpha 200 carry guy. And DeAndre Swift, I'll be interested to see how he fits in the scheme. I think that was one of the big selling points for sure on Taylor is just sort of that offense they've been running and how well he could have dropped in there. But you know, they needed... Maybe even more so than like an every down running back, they needed a, a kind of a mismatch threat back there who could get out and catch passes, and you know they maybe they move him into the slot a little bit. Swift talked about doing that uh, in his conference call with the media last night. You know, playing out of the slot, being sort of that receiving guy. So uh, he'll be interesting. I've kind of been waiting for them to use some two back sets the last couple of years. I'm kind of curious if they might, but yeah, I thought that was a good fit too. 
Yeah, and just looking at through the second round, a few of my uh, favorite, you know, speaking with the Colts, getting Jonathan Taylor, they did that like 10 picks later. Uh, good pickup for them. They moved up to do that. Uh, the Browns at 44 to get Grant Delpit. I, I thought the Browns really knocked it out of the park with their first two picks. Jedrick Wills at 10, Grant mm-hmm. Delpit uh, at 44, and I think they went all SEC, actually. You got Jordan Elliott in the third round and uh, uh, Phillips, the linebacker, who wasn't as high on him. I thought there were some better linebackers on the board, but loved what the Browns did with their first two picks. Um, we saw a few of these receivers, uh, the receiver trend keep going with uh, T. Higgins to the Bengals at 33. Uh, and then K.J. Hamler, uh, Broncos going receiver with the first two picks. That's really interesting. Jerry Judy in the first, and then K.J. Hamler uh, in the second, getting Drew Locke, all types of weapons. Yeah, and that, it's always interesting to see teams double up, but you would think that those guys – could work pretty well together. Obviously, right. you know, Alabama was loaded up uh, <laughs> with Judy and, and rugs and everyone and made it work. But uh, Hamler's probably, you would assume, would be uh, kind of planted in the slot there. And Judy's someone that could do work for you basically everywhere else. So, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's sort of really buying into what you have at quarterback, too, I think. You just it, it, sort of showing that you trust the guy that you've got and think that maybe you can open this offense up a, a little bit. Or, or I guess you're going to find out that it's not the guy because now right. you have all these weapons for him. No more excuses, right? And really liked what Dallas did too. Um, and I, I talked about mm-hmm. it uh, in the lead up to the draft. But if there was a certain scenario that played out at 17, uh, they were going to consider Trevon Diggs there. Uh, if Chase on was no longer there. C.J. Henderson was gone. A.J. Terrell was gone. Uh, then I, I think it came down to Trevon Diggs and Xavier McKinney about who Dallas would take at 17 overall. And thankfully for them, it, they got C.D. Lamb. Uh, and then in the second round, Trevon Diggs falls to them at 51. So I thought the Cowboys, um, in terms of maximizing value, and they did it in the third round, I thought, with Neville Gallimore. Wasn't a huge Gallimore fan, but still, I thought he was drafted uh, a little bit later than maybe he should have. So Cowboys, I think, did got excellent value with each all three of their picks so far. Yeah, a uh, couple for me. I mean, I like the Bears getting Jalen Johnson at 50. I think, mm-hmm. you know, he had the shoulder shoulder issue. But otherwise, to me, he was uh, – I mean, I, I wouldn't have had a problem with the team looking at him in the first if he was healthy. I'm assuming it was the injury mostly that pushed him down a little bit. Um, but they And they paired him with Cole Komet. Uh, Buffalo got Epinesa at 54. Mm-hmm. And then Zach Moss, who I think could be a really good NFL running back if he stays healthy at 86. And that's on top of – uh, their big trade with Minnesota for Stefan Diggs. So you almost kind of count that as part of their draft class and look at it as, you know, Diggs, Epinesa, Moss to start off. That's pretty good. I mean, Epinesa to me, yeah, that was someone we talked about as maybe being uh, a mid to late first rounder for a long time. And uh, then he kind of seemed like the momentum was pushing him down into the second. The Bills got him towards the back half of the second. And, you know, that that's one of those guys that you just sort of think's going to hang around the league for a long time and be productive. So I like what they did on day day two. I guess they sat out day one more or less, but day two for the Bills there. Yeah, pretty good uh, haul for not having a first-round pick. And I would throw the Ravens in there. I mean, they the Ravens are so good at just staying put, waiting for good players to fall to them, and they seem to do it consistently. Uh, did it in the first round, Patrick Queen, and then they did it in the second round. J.K. Dobbins, I, I don't know. To me... 
<laughs> J.K. Dobbins, he's my favorite of these backs. And to add him to that backfield with Mark Ingram, Lamar Jackson, uh, just the, the rich get richer w- with that pick. Love the fit uh, for Baltimore there. Uh, and they had a pretty solid round three, too. Um, yeah, they did. You know, the Duvernay was a, you know, that's a, a good find in round three. Um, Malik Harrison, I think you could be a productive linebacker. And then uh, who's their last guy? So I'm spacing out now. Uh, uh, Terry Phillips, Phillips from Mississippi tackle. State. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was the last pick of yesterday. So, uh, yeah, that's another a good class. Um, I feel like we shouldn't go too far into this. Uh, a couple things. First of all, uh, our usual plug head over to the athletic.com slash prospects to pros you can get 40 percent uh off your subscription or you can go to the athletic.com get a 90-day free trial check us out for a while that gets you access to jane's draft guide which again i highly recommend having not just for day three uh of the draft which gets going here in a couple hours but um for beyond because uh we're gonna have a lot of time to sit and talk about this draft class we're gonna have uh a lot of uh, rookies kind of popping in later in the offseason that didn't get drafted and and there's uh, certainly a lot to pick through there in that draft guide that'll help you navigate what's to come in the coming months here uh and also dane's got a ton of content up from this week uh you know we had our uh rounds two and three sort of live blog running where uh he was doing analysis analysis at each pick and then the beat writers from each team were chiming in uh still can check out the top 300 uh, the best players remaining on the draft board headed into day three and uh, more content coming out of day three as well so head over there and then the other thing i I don't want to wait too long to talk about is the jalen hurts pick at 53 to uh, philadelphia because that um maybe got the biggest reaction of anything on day two uh is a pretty interesting pick pretty interesting fit uh and i guess everyone's now kind of curious to see as soon as it happened, you started hearing the Taysom Hill comparisons, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. But get your thoughts on it here, Dane. Did you? What do you think of that landing spot for Jalen Hurts? Well, I think the Eagles are in an interesting spot because they know their quarterback. If he starts all sixteen games, it's kind of a surprise. Um, as good as Carson Wentz is, he's you know injuries have been an issue for him, and so. You know, if he's going to miss three or four games a year, which, you know, you hope not, but that might be more of the reality. Uh, and so you have to be ready with a player that can step in and help bridge the gap and win football games. And so they they identified Jalen Hurts as being that guy. I, I, I have not been the biggest Jalen Hurts supporter uh, because of just I, I think that the speed of the NFL is going to be. Uh, a little too much for him, uh, but as a passer, uh, but he's a guy you want in your quarterback room. He's a guy you want on your team, no question. Um, and if he's not going to be asked to be the full time guy, which this isn't a situation where he's going to be, uh, you know, the quarterback of the future or anything like that. He's more of the, you know, going to be the uh, a reliever at the bullpen who's going to be able to come in and and help out the team when needed uh, instead of having to be the starter and log a lot of innings. So I I, I don't hate the pick, uh, you know, for the Eagles. Um, I think it makes sense. Uh, so I'm not too surprised by it. Now, would I have gone that direction? No, I, I would have done several other things at that point. But I can understand the reasoning why Howie Roseman and uh, Coach Peterson, why they went that direction. So let's just talk about the that scouting report you mentioned a little bit because that that seems to be the the big knock on him. You mentioned the speed of sort of how quickly you need to read NFL defenses as a quarterback. 
uh, is going to be a challenge for him. And I, I guess I kind of wonder if you see that as something that the Eagles can develop and improve upon over the next couple of years, or if it's something, you, you know, they, they could scheme around where you're running a lot of, you know, first read throws and just getting the ball out of his hands. Because I, I think from a backup perspective, uh, as you put it, you know, to bring him in as a reliever to just have him sort of in the arsenal. Uh, again, I don't know that uh, I, I don't want to start comparing every mobile quarterback to Taysom Hill uh, mm. and just assume that teams are going to be able to do with anyone who can run what the Saints have done with Taysom Hill. But uh, certainly it, it can help a team to have a backup who's different than your starter uh, right. if he's pushed in that whether it's a start last minute or has to come in mid game because it, it can catch uh, opposing defense is a little off balance. If it's something that is totally different than the game plan, they've been preparing for the normal starter. So I think he, from the athleticism standpoint, it's there, but is the other stuff, I mean, can that develop or are we talking about him as that guy who's always going to be, you know, a number two, number three quarterback and, and you just find some creative ways to use him on occasion. That's how I evaluated him. Uh, and maybe he'll prove me wrong and be able to develop his anticipation and his ability to read. And, you know, I think he'll get better in those areas, but enough to where he's going to be that uh, a 300-yard passer consistently, uh, which in today's NFL, that's that's what you expect. Um, I, I don't see that. I see a guy that you are going to change your scheme. You know, you're going to, uh, you know, run some option plays. You're going to, uh, you know, run some, be creative out of the backfield with how you use your quarterback, get him on the move. So I, I do think that it would be more of a schematic change than anything else uh, when he's in the game. And like you said, that's that could be an asset. You, you can use that as a weapon because the defense doesn't know how necessarily to to defend that and what you're going to do. So I, I think that there there could be some value in uh, you know Hertz not being a traditional drop back passer. He's a little different. That's okay. Uh, because how they use him could end up being beneficial. So I want to get into a little bit of you know things that maybe surprised you, surprised us on uh, day two. And I don't know if this falls under that category or not, but Hertz was the pick in round two for Philadelphia. And then you know we're still waiting on the rest of these uh, quarterbacks to go. Um, and the big ones up top there uh, are Jake Fromm and uh, Jacob Eason, who, you know, it, it was the 2000 or you know the 2020 version of the the green room experience where the, the camera's sitting there just waiting for someone to get picked you know you keep looking into Fromm's living room and uh Jacob Eason's living room and they're you know hoping to hear their names called we're now into round 4 hasn't happened yet so a any surprise from you there that we didn't get one of those two guys at least off the board on Friday night a little surprised. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of either of these guys. Um, you know, I, I, I gave them third round grades, but even that felt like, you know, I, I felt like I was lower on him than most, but I, I'm not even sure I would have drafted these guys in the third round because there's, there's question marks about both and you question, you know, what their ceiling's going to be. Now, from, I, I think, because I feel good about what he brings to my quarterback room and he's going to be a solid backup at worst. And maybe, and it just, he's very scheme specific. You know, he needs a specific offense. So there, there might be five teams in the NFL that are seriously considering drafting from. And I thought maybe one of those five teams could have drafted him in the second or third round, but that's just not how it worked out. Um, with Eason, 
I just, I really worry about his slow feet. I, I really think that could be the fatal flaw uh, for him making it at the next level. And that's what I think teams are struggling with as well. The mental development's not there. And this is why a lot of people told him to go back to school because he needed to develop. And the best way to develop was on-field reps. He's probably not going to get that in the NFL uh, because it's going to be hard for him to find the field. Um, and so with uh, with Jacob Eason, uh, I mean, I, I, these guys are probably going to ha- have their name called here pretty quickly. Uh, probably fourth round, but it, not that big of a shock that they're uh, still around here as we enter day three. So just uh, one more thing on those quarterbacks and the, whether people are listening to this before uh, day three gets going or they're coming back after, during day three, uh, whenever. But is there another quarterback in there um, that you think is really intriguing now that we're into this third day like is there someone that you think can be that draft and develop guy who is uh i guess maybe the immediate ceiling if you have to get into a Gardner Minshew situation maybe has that but certainly down the road has some potential is there a guy that you think could be you know three four years out from being a decent nfl starter yeah i think there are three names that uh once you get on to day three development candidates who could potentially be more than how we view them right now. Um, and, and that's Anthony Gordon from Washington State, James Morgan from FIU, and uh, Jake Luton from Oregon State. I think all three of those guys are going to be drafted here the next two or three rounds, and they're going to be the guys you try and develop. They showed something on their tape that makes you think that they can be more than you know what they were in college. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how far after they go uh, Easton and from, or could one of those three sneak in front of uh, Easton or from um, these quarter quarterback. It's just a uh, you know beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and if uh, you know not everybody's going to be in love with Eason and Fromm, and maybe they feel better about the chances about uh, those other three uh, potentially being something down the road. So uh, it's it's a really interesting dynamic with these quarterbacks to only have what four drafted so far, uh, or no five uh, with four in the first round and one on Friday. So just a really you know we, usually every year we have about twelve. Uh, quarterbacks drafted and so I uh, you know we're gonna have seven quarterbacks drafted tonight probably not uh, so just not a very uh, quarterback heavy draft this year okay so surprises from day two um, talked about Hertz a little bit I think you maybe put that we had a little run of like Ezra Cleveland Denzel Mims Christian Fulton like guys we thought might be first rounders mm-hmm. at the end of round two and that kind of speaks to the depth of uh, not just this draft class as a whole, but some of those positions that they those guys are coming from. Um, what else What else jumped out for you on the second day? Um, I think that, uh, you know, the Saints kind of trading their entire day three, uh, <laughs> yeah. all their draft picks to go it. up and get Troutman. Uh, the The Saints do this. They, they, they go with uh, quality over quantity. You know, they did it last year moving up for – uh, and Eric McCoy and getting Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Um, you know, here they do it with, uh, you know, Cesar Ruiz in the first, but then they come back in the third with uh, Zach Bond and Adam Troutman, two players that, you know, we thought could be potential top 60 picks. And Zach Bond, if he was the pick at 24, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye and said, oh, wow, you know, they just did that would have made sense. And so, really interesting to see Bond fall that far. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals, they, some people gave them a little bit of criticism in the first for going Simmons over a tackle. 
and they wait. They don't have a second round pick, the DeAndre Hopkins trade. They wait until the third round, pick 72, and they get a guy who was frequently mocked in first rounds, uh, Josh Jones out of Houston. So that was a surprise to see him fall that far to that point. So uh, uh, surprised to see uh, Keyshawn Vaughn from uh, Vandy uh, go in ahead of some other the running backs that were available, like Darrington Evans and Zach Moss. Um, so, uh, I don't, we didn't have any non-combine guys, uh, drafted on day two. Um, we didn't have any huge surprises in terms of guys that were maybe, I think maybe the biggest surprise in terms of a player who I thought was a later round pick who went earlier, uh, DeGuara to the Packers, uh, Dalton Keene to the Patriots. Uh, surprised Packers, to see. Man. <laughs> yeah, uh, their, their fans are having a, having a great morning. Uh, surprised to see those two tight ends drafted ahead of, uh, ahead of Troutman, um, ahead of Harrison Bryant, um, ahead of Albert O, ahead of Colby Parkinson, Bryson Hopkins, uh, Thaddeus Moss. So this tight end group, we, we've talked about how, how strange it was this year. You know, no, first round picks at the tight end position and maybe we have a top 50 guy but it's not a a class that you look at and point to a lot of guys that you can get excited about and uh, here we are uh, with uh, a few day three guy we perceived uh, players we perceived as day three picks going uh sneaking into that late second yeah i kind of like the aggressive move to get troutman i know it's it's hard to it's hard to give up the type of capital they did there. It's a it's a lot to just bail on day three of the draft, but certainly you know to get him at one hundred five and as the fifth tight end off the board feels like pretty good value. And it was interesting to see those tight ends uh, play out the way that they did. Um, New England pairing Devin Asiasi with uh, Dalton Keene, who I think yeah he's Dalton Keene certainly has that Patriots tight end feel about him. So I'm not he surprised does. that 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 one hit. Uh, you know. Pairing those guys, taking them, you know, whatever it was, ten picks apart, eleven picks apart. Uh, you think those two work together? I mean, if this is if the grand plan is to have, you know, Asiasi and Dalton Keene eventually be the one-two punch at tight end in that offense, do you think there's a chance that that clicks? Uh, yeah, I think it's possible. Keene's really interesting because he was so underused. He was kind of an H back. Uh, I mean, he literally he had he uh, he started every game uh, or all but one game. So 38 starts last three years and he averaged one point nine targets per game. So this is not a, a guy that was a high volume target. And he just kind of did whatever was asked of him. Um, and so he and, it, and I think that's something that will really appeal to obviously Coach Belichick and uh, that offense, just because you can line him up in the backfield out wide in line. Um, on the wing, whatever you want him to do, play special teams, he'll do it. And you got to love a guy whose nickname is Rambo uh, for his ability to <laughs> uh, throw weights around uh, and then just kind of the way he carries himself. So, uh, you know, son of a defensive lineman, he's got that toughness in his DNA. Uh, I, I think it's just a natural fit for – I thought that the Patriots would go that direction maybe on day two, but uh, they they felt the need to get him here instead of waiting until round four. And, yeah, we talked about the Patriots – or the, the Packers – you know, A.J. Dillon in the second round, I thought that was a little bit of a reach. I thought he was more of a fourth rounder. Um, you know, I, I like the straight ahead speed for a guy that's 247 pounds, but doesn't have much make you miss. Uh, pass protection was an issue. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't love that pick there. I, I, I thought they were going to go with a power back uh, at some point just to compliment um, 
uh, Aaron Jones, but second round seemed a bit early for for him. And then Deguara, I like. I just there's nothing spectacular about him. You know, I think he's gonna be a solid player. Uh, just he's not going to be a dynamic weapon, and that's okay. You know, we're talking about the what 94th pick, so it's not like you know they used a uh, you know first round or second rounder on him, but still felt a little bit earlier uh, for a guy like that. Yeah. I- we talked about it after the first round. It's been the the Packers' approach is is interesting because it you know is after they made that pick, you kind of get on Twitter and then people are speculating. Well, maybe they're trying to add running backs because they don't want to pay pay Aaron Jones when his contract comes up, and so they're looking long term. And uh, I guess you have to do that. I don't know. I mean, to to assume that AJ Dillon's going to step in and be a replacement eventually for Aaron Jones, I think is probably a dangerous assumption. But you know, again, just to, the window for them seems so small um, with Aaron Rodgers, and they probably made it a little smaller by drafting Jordan Love. That uh, hmm. you would have thought that they'd be looking for. Maybe these are impact guys. I mean, maybe maybe AJ Dillon is really good in that offense, and as a as sort of the you know the the thunder to the Aaron Jones lightning, and maybe Degora is. Uh, that versatile guy who becomes kind of a safety net for for Aaron Rodgers in the passing attack, but uh, yeah, that's been an interesting draft to, uh, to watch play out. And J.K. Dobbins, he was drafted seven picks ahead of A.J. Dillon. I mean, if I'm the Packers, I'm, I'm, I'll trade a fourth and a sixth to go up seven spots in the second round and go get the better running back. Um, you know, if the Packers draft J.K. Dobbins, to me, that makes a ton more sense uh, in the second round there. So, um, you know, a little little surprise at the direction that they went. And, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, i trying to think of any other surprises. You know, we, we, we saw the safety run happening in round two. That's what happened. Um, you know, a little surprise that um, Kyle Duggar was a second. Uh, he was my third rated safety, so not not a huge surprise, but I, I didn't think that the NFL necessarily viewed him as high as I did. Um, Xavier McKinney was the first safety, then Kyle Duggar, um, and the Browns took Grant Delpit. Jeremy Chin is off the board shortly after that. So we saw that run, Antoine Winfield as well, saw that run on safeties in that second round. I think we had five off the board. So I think that followed up what we thought. Um, and then we saw a couple of linebackers. Uh, Logan Wilson did the first pick in the third round. Uh, lo- love that pick for the Bengals. I actually, yeah. I was surprised. I, 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 probably my best second, third round mock draft that I've, that I've done. Um, hit on the <laughs> Trevon Diggs of the Cowboys, the Logan Wilson of the Bengals. Uh, had three or four hits that, uh, you know, usually it's one or two, but, uh, kind of doubled that this year. So feeling good. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lo- Logan Wilson, uh, was really impressive down at the senior bowl. I know that was a guy that, uh, Jim Nagy down there talked very highly of, and it seemed like a lot of teams were interested in as this process played out. So yeah, that was that was a good pick for Cincinnati at sixty five. Uh, given that the safety started coming off the board at you know thirty six, uh, does it fall under this surpri- surprise umbrella for you that Jeremy Chin didn't go till sixty four? Because we were talking about him too. That mm-hmm. was another name you know that was sort of on that seemed like he might be in that top forty range and. Uh, seemed like he had a lot of fans around the league, and then, and not that sixty four is a, a you know monumental fall or a bad spot to go, but uh, there was a bit of a wait from when the safety started coming off to where Carolina nabbed him. Yeah, and I think that um, I think the Browns would. They, I think they like really liked Grant Delpit and Jeremy Chin at forty one, and they actually traded back uh, three spots uh, because I think they felt good about Delpit or Chin being there at forty four. 
Uh, both were there. They took Delpit. And so I think Chin could have easily just as gone, just as easily gone. Top 50 uh, to the Browns, or it's several of those teams that were picking there. But they went with uh, different different safety, and so he fell a little bit. Uh, a little surprised to see him fall to the last pick in the second round. But um, yeah, he's just he, he, we talked about him as being that Isaiah Simmons type of player, six three two twenty with the speed, the range can do a lot of different things for you. So um, interesting for for Carolina to get him uh, at that point. Um, and you mentioned how uh, you know Christian Fulton falling, Denzel Mims, Ezra Cleveland, guys that we thought could be. Uh, possible first round picks. Um, and I thought the Patriots were interesting drafting Josh Uche and Anthony Jennings. Uh, two, two players who are kind of that hybrid, uh, edge rusher. Uh, you know, but they look more like linebackers and they're both kind of polar opposites. Uh, Uche is that speed guy who's just going to blow past you off the edge where Jennings is more of the edge setter who's going to use his length, lock out, control the point of attack but doesn't have that suddenness who's going to surprise blockers. So if you combine Uche and Anthony Jennings, I think you have the, uh, you have a first round edge rusher, uh, but they're, so it's kind of, they kind of complement each other. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, pickup for the Patriots on, on day two. We're, we're like one Rutgers player shy of the perfect <laughs> Patriots draft here, I think. So uh, you, you got the edge rushers, you got the small school guy, you got the multiple tight ends. So it, Bill Belichick and his dog are doing their doing their work from the, <laughs> the kitchen or wherever he's set up over there. Um, so day three, I know, as I said, a lot of people I'm sure will probably be getting to this podcast either while they're sitting watching day three or after day three is over and they're circling back to try and learn some stuff about uh, guys who are now on their favorite team. So uh, some names that jump out for you that are still on the board, because at, especially in round four, I think you're still talking about guys who can come in and uh, maybe push for starting jobs. Certainly push for rotational work early on. There, there's a lot of there a lot of bodies there that are still going to help. Sure, and yeah, I think it was a little surprise that Meek Robertson from Louisiana Tech is still available. I have to wonder that groin injury from the combine, uh, from before the combine, is that something that is uh, teams are worried about? Uh, John Simpson, the guard out of Clemson, Harrison Bryant, tight end out of FAU. Um, I, I think James Lynch out of Baylor, even though I have some question marks about the fit, uh, surprised that he would fall out of the top 100 picks. Curtis Weaver, uh, edge rusher out of Boise State. Uh, there are a lot of things I don't like about him, but. For a guy that is as productive as he was in the Mountain West Conference, uh, doesn't I don't care what conference you're playing in. When you have that type of production, uh, I'm surprised a team has not rolled the dice on him uh, maybe a little bit sooner. So definitely uh, plenty of interesting names. It'll be, you know, when's that first non-combine guy going to come off the board? Uh, I think it's probably going to be Dotson, the guard out of uh, Louisiana Lafayette. But uh, now is where we start to have some fun. And, you know, we're going to see some surprise picks and, you know, make sure you have the the draft guide handy. Uh, this is where hopefully it can flex its muscles a little bit, showing uh, you know some of these later round guys and, and players that maybe not everybody knows about. So uh, it's going to be a fun day. Yeah, for sure. And lots of wide receivers still sitting out there too. Yeah. Uh, KJ Hill, I know, was in your top one hundred, and then you know Gandy Golden, Colin Johnson, a couple guys that were at the Senior Bowl. So uh, that's a position that. It sounds like some teams have been waiting on and probably will nab some people here, you know, rounds four or five. So, uh, yeah, a lot to still a lot still to unpack. And this is going to be a really interesting year for the undrafted free agents, too, just to see how quickly that all happens. Um, you know, which teams are 
are uh, really get aggressive right out of the gate, despite the circumstances. Minnesota maybe has gone the opposite way. They have, what, 13 picks on day three? They're just going to take everyone, everyone that they were going to sign when it was over. Um, So, yeah, it'll be fun to watch this uh, last day of the draft and then see how all the dominoes fall from there with this undrafted signings. Again, make sure you get Dane's draft guide to stay on top of that, theathletic.com slash prospects to pros for 40% off. Or just go to theathletic.com for your 90-day free trial. You can check out all of Dane's uh, work coming out of draft weekend. As I mentioned yesterday, every team site has a bunch of content up too. And we've also had a really cool feature where our college football writers have been uh, doing posts uh, immediately after a lot of these draft picks, you know, filling in fan bases on what they're getting uh, in their new draft picks. So those are all up. There's more content than you're going to be able to read this weekend for sure, but uh, certainly lots to keep you busy. And that draft guide will come in handy for months now. So make sure you head over there. Uh, Support Dane's work because I don't think he slept since February, maybe. I don't know. Maybe earlier. That's what Uh, May's for. (laughs) Uh, we're almost there. Hang in there for another yeah, almost, week. Almost. Uh, <laughs> so we'll be back um, a- after this is all over. At the end of the weekend, we'll, we'll get back to you uh, and recap everything that went down. Maybe touch on a few of the undrafted signings if those have started to happen and kind of look ahead to uh, the rest of the offseason. Uh, you know, we're not really sure when we're going to see guys get into camps and, and go back to the facilities, but we'll at least have a good idea for what these rosters look like. So we'll be back to recap everything from draft weekend once it's all over. We thank everyone for listening uh, the last couple of days. And uh, thanks to all of you who have subscribed over the past few weeks, uh, especially if you're checking out Dane's Draft Guide. So for Dane Brugler and our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm Chris Burke. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.